in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? Luka Doncic, 60 points, 21 rebounds, 10 assists last night in an overtime win against the New York Knicks. It is the first time in NBA history that a player has had 60 or more points, 20 or more rebounds, and 10 or Not even more wilt. assists, which is probably the most amazing part about that. Because almost any time you see somebody have a ridiculous stat line, it's like, oh, Wilt Chamberlain did this in 1964, right. and this is the first player to do it since then. Nobody, no. not even Wilt, has had a 60-20-10 game before. I was able to watch the clip on the, uh, the missed free throw. Missing free throw. That was so, actually hilarious. All right, two things. First off, the Knicks were up nine with 35 seconds left. And the Knicks led by three. Final seconds, they foul Luka as he dribbles across half court. So foul up three, he gets two free throws. This is the like one or 2% chance where that goes wrong for you. If you are the team fouling where Luka makes the first free throw, intentionally misses the second, ends up with the rebound and puts it home. There were two Knicks that had a chance to grab the rebound and neither one, one of them second. could. Right. And Luka grabbed it and put it in. That forced overtime and overtime is where Luka got to 60 points and the maps ultimately won the game and incredible performance from Luka Doncic. And am I wrong to say the Mavs right now feel like the early LeBron James Cavaliers? I don't think you're wrong to say that. That's you a have yeah. a superstar. superstar and who's the second best player on that team? Our guy. I, I don't know. Who. Our Maybe guy? it's Christian Wood. Like, it feels very much like LeBron's in the finals and Booby Gibson is the second best scorer on the team. They've got Zadrunas Ilgauskas <laughs> to protect the rim. Like, that's what it feels like with the Mavs, except LeBron dragged his team to the finals, like, seemingly every year where Luka has yet to do that. But that's just... Chris was better than Booby. We'll see. Booby Gibson had like a 30-something point playoff game at one point. You're like, we did what? So it just feels very much like you've got the superstar and you have failed to build a team around him. Like if you just were semi-competent in putting a team together around him, you're probably winning a title. So obviously they've got plenty of time to do so. The Cavs failed for what? Uh, what was he in Cleveland? Seven, eight years before yeah. he left for Miami? Like they failed for nearly a decade. Mavs still have time, but... That's just what it feels like where this guy's unbelievable. And you're like, all right, how are they not better around him? Oh, oh like you said. <clears throat> Poor Adam Hill. The Broncos general manager. <laughs> I missed that. Believes Russell Wilson <laughs> is that fixable. That was at Monday's uh, okay. McDaniels press conference. Totally yeah. uh, so George Patton said, it's not whether Russ is fixable or not. We do believe he is. We do. 
Well, that's what you say when you have to take them because of the cap hits, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what you say when you you still are going to get, like you said, would you say if they released them or got rid of them two years down the road, they'd still have an $80 million cap hit? This year, the dead cap hit would be $108 million, okay. I believe. And you can, you can split it up between two years where it'd be 60-something and 30-something. The following off season, I think it's seventy or eighty million in dead cap. Hit. Well, that's why you say he's fixable, <laughs> right there. That's the only reason you're saying he's fixable. I do wonder what his quote would be if the Broncos had the same clause the Raiders had As with Derek Carr. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. We can cut him, and, and yes. nothing happens. And it'd be a five million dollar hit, right? I would be curious to see what he would say, but I, I do genuinely want to ask you the question: What's like the percentage chance that Russell Wilson is fixable? Less than, less than ten percent, because he's. It's not a quarterback who's never been good before, right? Russ, Russell Wilson but was he's good. So bad at this point, he's not getting any younger, right? And the age part probably matters, but like you can you can play till you're in your late thirties, hell early forties if you're a quarterback, right? Like that's it's not like oh once you hit thirty three you're done like a lot of positions. I don't know. I, I feel like there is. I think you're probably right that it's under 10. It's five, six, seven percent that Russell Wilson is fixable. So there's something there, but it's not really a likely outcome for yeah. the Broncos that Russell Wilson is, in fact, fixed. no, because fixable from the GM, the way he says it means fixable to where they'll make the playoffs and he'll be fine and they'll be he'll be what they thought when they gave him that extraordinary contract. Right. And well, to be honest, right now, the expectations have been reset and are so low that if you're the Broncos, you, you're not even hoping Russell Wilson gets to the level of what you thought he was top be. five quarterback in the league, which is what they thought they were getting. You just hope he gets back to average. Right. You just hope you're talking about, oh, we've, he's the 14th best quarterback in the league right. this year, next season. Like, that's what you're hoping for. And if you get that, I mean, hell, if they had that this year, they're probably a... Well, with seven that defense, or eight wins. they've got exactly. seven or eight wins right defense. now, and yeah. they're we're talking about they're on Broncos. the bubbles just like they're right. Right. Well, and not you know, before last ahead of them. Yeah. yeah, but like we're talking about the Broncos in the playoff hunt right now and everything. But he was awful and uh, fixable to where he's a top five guy. I think is probably one percent fixable to where he's the thirteenth best quarterback. There's Andy probably, Dalton, probably about a ten percent. Andy Dalton. If they had Andy Dalton this year, they're in, they're in the playoffs. Right? Yes. With that defense? Yeah. Yes. I mean, hell, if they had Cooper Rush this year, they're in the playoffs. If they had any one of the 49ers quarterbacks, they're probably in the playoffs. Well, I don't know. Hackett yeah. is pretty bad. Maybe they're not. Hackett sucked quite a bit. I don't know. The, that last game with the Rams, I don't even think it was Hackett. Like, the whole they time quit. I... They had to have quit. <laughs> they're fighting they each 50, other yeah, on the sideline. The Broncos defense has legitimately been one of the four or five best in yes. the league this year, and they gave up 51 yeah. to the they quit. But they couldn't score 18 points. Right. Well, that too. But, like, we're talking about just specifically the Christmas game against the Rams. Yes. They, they quit. Like, there's they had they even given up 51 points in the previous, like, four weeks? Probably not. They've probably given up, like, 48 points yeah. in the previous four weeks. My question, just final thing, is you, even if you get Russ back to mediocre, how pissed off are those defensive guys for this season? Where it's just like, dude, we got you in position every they, time. They did all. it for like three years with Drew Locke. Drew Locke and who else did they? Trevor Simeon at one point. Like they've that defense has been doing that for years now. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know I can't tell you that. It's just one of those. Welcome to Denver. Carson Wentz is going to start for the Commanders. These guys are still in the hunt. 
They are. And they're benching Taylor Heineke for Carson Wentz. Uh, the commanders. Somewhere Danny is screaming. <laughs> they have not won a game since November 27th. Now, they've had a bye week in there, and they had a tie with the Giants. So it hasn't been all losses. But they uh, are going to go the whole month of December without a win. Uh, to compare the quarterbacks for you, just quickly, pro football focus grades. Carson Wentz out of 35 quarterbacks ranks 30th. Taylor Heineke, 34th. All right. Is that enough to bench a guy when you're still in it? Yeah, I guess. When you're still you're still mathematically in this thing, you're going to go with a new guy? It's. I mean, mathematically, they're in the damn playoffs yeah. right now. If they win their, their next two games, they're in. Uh there's not it's it's not like you're benching a good quarterback or anything like that and it's not like you're turning to a good quarterback i think it's probably just looking at the two and saying who has the chance to be the 20th best quarterback right. in the league for the last two weeks and i can see the argument for why it's carson wentz right i mean i can see why you'd say hey carson wentz can give us that level of production also carson wentz might turn it over five times this weekend and their playoff hopes could right. be over Daddy had a breakaway. All right. This is a fun story from The Athletic uh, with a fun detail here. Uh, Case Keenum, backup quarterback for the Bills, uh, apparently was trying to encourage Josh Allen to slide more earlier in the season. And I'll read this quote from Case Keenum. I may or may not have told him I would wear only a jock strap to one of our walkthroughs <laughs> if he slid in the game feet first with nobody around him. In week three, Josh Allen slid feet first with no one around him after an eight-yard gain. Josh Allen got asked about this, and he said, I can neither confirm nor deny those allegations. I'm sure some of the receivers and the running backs might have something different to say about that, but I don't really remember. Man, he's show, show up in the jockstrap <laughs> nowadays with that snow. With it, was snow in, it was back in week three. Okay. So, it was still the, so, so the weather was still not outrageously right. bad. It was still at least uh, warm outside or not uh, freezing temperatures. Uh, but a, a couple of things I love about this. First off, that the backup quarterback is invested in the starting quarterback sliding to not get right. hurt, that he's going to punish himself, which basically tells me Case Keenum is like, I'm here to do nothing and get a ring. So, Josh, you Hold better the not get hurt. And you better not get hurt. I don't want to be in the game, Josh. This is on you. No. Start sliding. No, because he knows be they're good there. enough to go to the Super Bowl and he doesn't want to be the fall guy. That's right. I want the ring and we're doing it with you, Josh. We're not doing it with me uh so very much love that detail of it and that case keenum is willing to do so also slightly related to this um the bills tiktok account they've got a very fun tiktok account they did a series where they gave josh allen like bad gifts or whatever leading up to christmas and one of the gifts they gave him they made case keenum record a video that Case Keenum thought was going to like a 10-year-old Bills fan <laughs> and then played it for Josh Allen. So it's Case Keenum being like, hey there, Josh, here you're a big Bills fan and I hear you're going to be playing quarterback soon and starts giving him like uh, pointers on like what what's important about quarterback play and they give it to Josh Allen to sit here and watch Case Keenum think he's talking to a 10-year-old. Phenomenal. I, uh, what was the question again? I'm sorry, I just got this. <laughs> J.J. Watt is retiring from the NFL. He's currently only 33 years old. He has 111.5 sacks in his career. You want to know what the most amazing thing was? He's got nine and a half this season. Yeah. 
I didn't realize J.J. Watt was still just like, yeah, I'm yeah. bringing the quarterback down every game. I didn't know he had this many, but he had the heart issue earlier in the year. He yeah. had like a procedure, so maybe that has, because it was surprising. You know what? Golf clap for how he did it. No outrageous announcement. No crazy press conference. He just said, you know what? That's it. I'm done. Put a picture of his wife and kid out there. My last home game. That'll be that. You don't want the retirement tour where no, you get a gift from no, every team? No, nonsense. Come on. No, nonsense. I like the way he did it. He could have gotten he something barely fun. Even, he, if it not for that tweet, he barely even said it. Right. Uh, you, I Listen, Mariano Rivera, when he was retiring, what was it? The Orioles gave him the rocking chair of rocking broken chair. bats? Rocking chair. That was great. Now, most of the time, the retirement tour isn't that fun, but you might get one fun gift out of it like that. Do you think Mariano Rivera still has that? I'm sure he does. You've got to. It's yeah, like yeah, got to be one of the coolest that. thing. I broke everybody's bats on that sorry organization <laughs> for a decade and gave me a rocking chair out of it. Okay. Silence. <laughs> All right. College football bowl season in full swing, uh, even though I think there's only one Mountain West team left to play. Yesterday, Utah State played in the first responders bowl in Dallas. <sighs> the Mountain West. Memphis beat them 38 to 10. But I don't care about anything from that game except one play. On fourth and nine... In the third quarter, across midfield, they're at the Memphis 35-yard line. Utah State was down 24-3. to They walked out, took an intentional delay of game, and punted. Only in the Mountain West. In a bowl game! Yeah, only in the Mountain West. What? Go! You should not even bring your punters to the bowl game. Just go! <laughs> it's, a, it's the first responders Jimmy, you're staying bowl. home. You're staying home in Logan. What are we doing? We'll send you the care package. <laughs> exactly. You're going to get the watch. They were down three scores across midfield in a bowl game and said, we're going to take the delay of game to give our punter some more room to down it inside the, the 20. If Barry Odom takes UNLV to a bowl game and takes a delay of game to punt from the 35... Fire him. I don't care if he's won nine Bobby games. Bobby Petrino's the head coach. Get out. If you do that in a first responders bowl, what's the point of going to a bowl game? Unbelievable. I And I'm serious. Eric Harper should... Eric Harper made it clear to Barry Odom at some point, you got to recruit recruit locally. He needs to go talk to him right now. Say, if you ever do Show this... Show him that and say, if you do that, I don't I'm care. Firing you. If you went 10-2, and two, right. you're gone. Because it's the first responders bowl, and you're punting after taking a and delayed they're at the, game. Here's the thing: it's not even like they're at the 45; they're at the 35. Right? Just and you're, you're pretty deep touchdowns. in there. Just go for it. Just throw it 10 yards. Who yeah. cares? Just throw a hail mary. Yeah. Let it run a quarterback draw. I don't care. Hook and ladder. Anything's <laughs> better than intentional delay a game to give our punter more room. Coming up next, UNLV opens conference play tonight. Yesterday afternoon, we had a couple guys get delayed on our flights. They got stuck in Dallas. Joe Golding, head basketball coach um, for, uh, for um, I guess, Texas El Paso uh, College here in town, uh, University of Texas El Paso, him and his wife and, and child, they picked up and took our three guys and drove them because the flight was delayed to get them here for practice. They got here late last night, and uh, I just want to give a shout-out to, you know, uh, to those guys. That, again, just goes back to the hospitality. It was a great job by Joe, Joe and we appreciate it. You met, ever heard of Joe Golding? Met him before? No, not until last night when I heard he was. They kind of bumped into each other at the rental car. They all were in the same position. Flights were canceled, um, and uh, and uh, again, it's a blessing.
You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Pitt is playing in the Sun Bowl in El Paso. They had three football players stranded at the Dallas airport that couldn't, uh, their flights were canceled and apparently getting a rental car was a nightmare. Joe Golding is the head coach of the UTEP in El Paso basketball team. And somehow they ran into each other at the airport and Joe Golding offered to drive these three pit football players from Dallas to El Paso, which is over 600 miles apparently um, along with his family. And they actually found a rental car that had three rows of seats. So all of them could fit and they drove from Dallas to El Paso, which is essentially driving across the entire state of Texas. Yeah. So these players can play in the Sun Bowl. I saw a clip of these players. They apparently didn't know you had to be 25 to rent a car. The, this it's one the last said, milestone. Yeah, one of the guys, exactly. One of the guys <laughs> said, well, we found out you had to be 25. So thank goodness that basketball coach was there. <laughs> but that is a pretty incredible story uh, as to how these three football players ended up traveling with Joe Golding and his family. He's like, yeah, I'll hey. drive you guys. Just got to find a car. The easiest way not to lose your luggage right now. To just drive? Back, yeah, to drive. Throw it in the back well, of the car. 600 miles across El Paso? <laughs> Wait, did he actually have to like go, no, no, a minivan. I have more oh, no, people. No, 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 no. The story, initially they were getting a minivan and it wasn't big enough. Yeah, football players. Wasn't yeah, big enough yeah, for yeah, the, to bring the players. Right. Oh, they, yeah. like, they had, there was a minivan and yeah. they were like, it's not big enough. And the, he asked the rental car agent, like, what's the biggest thing you have? And apparently they told him, you can't afford it. And he was like, yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, I'm a head coach. <laughs> Even at UTEP. Right. Um, so, <laughs> travel related, UNLV is playing tonight against San Jose State. Uh, Keyshawn Gilbert. Did not fly with the team to San Jose because he was stuck in St. Louis. He went back to St. Louis for Christmas and his flight was canceled. So he wasn't in Las Vegas yesterday. He did make it to San Jose last night, according to UNLV's uh, Twitter account. So Keyshawn Gilbert did make it. He is should play tonight. But it had me thinking, is Keyshawn Gilbert the hardest running rebel to replace? Like if they missed a guy, whether it was for some crazy travel story or injury, whatever, is he the hardest player on this team to replace? Maybe if you're talking about both ends, if you're talking about all-around player, he is. Who else would it be? Would it be Harkless? See, the interesting part with Harkless is he takes the most shots, but he's not efficient. Right. And so I don't feel like he's super hard to replace. Like, I feel like you can... Is it Parquet, but he's hurt. You can get inefficient shots. Parquet... Can't shoot, but might be the defensively. Most, the difficult to replace defensively. Um, but what, we, what we're seeing out of Gilbert right now he has he is taking on Parquet's role as sort of the lead defender or the guard, lead on defend ball the defender. Good, the toughest guard, right? And that's something Parquet was doing. Gilbert's now doing that. Gilbert did that last season, by the way, so it's not like it's brand new to him. But he's also been their most efficient offensive player right. so far this season. Last two games haven't been quite as good, but he's been their most efficient offensive player. He's shooting really well from three. He's getting to the rim quite a bit, and so if you lost him. And here's the other key. His replacement is primarily Jordan McCabe. Right, right. Whereas if you lost, well, with Parquet out, it would still be Jordan McCabe for EJ Harkless too. But like if they're fully healthy and Parquet's back, if Harkless is out, then Justin Webster is the replacement. And I'd rather have Webster on the floor. Than McCabe. Than McCabe. So I think 
it's Keyshawn Gilbert. So Bart Torvik, we talked about this last year a lot with Bryce Hamilton. They've got they, they've got like a points above average stat, almost like a hey, if this player didn't play, how many points does the team get hurt? Gilbert is the most valuable, according to Bart Torvik, this year on UNLV's roster at 3.6. For comparison, Hamilton last year was at 5.0, and Hamilton was one of the 15 most valuable players in the country. I think it's Keyshawn Gilbert. Harkless would be tough simply because where are you getting your shots from? Uh, But I think they could do it. Parquet, we've seen, is a little bit tough because they're needing more out of Gilbert defensively. Uh, But I think those are sort of the top three in contention. If you lost Milwaukee, you'd get more minutes out of victory. Waco, probably until he fouled out. But you do have a pretty decent replacement there. Luis Rodriguez might be the answer to that because he's shooting really well recently and is a good defender. Like, he gives you something on both ends of the floor, even if he's not the primary guy. Uh, So he might be actually the third best answer to that question, uh, given what he's done on both ends of the floor. But they will have Keyshawn Gilbert tonight because he actually made it. Uh, well, how much is it taking away from Keyshawn Gilbert that he now has to guard the best player? So that was my main question in two games. Having to do that, he has not been good offensively. Right. It's been his worst two offensive games of the year have been the Since last Since he's two. had to take Parquet's role. Now, I don't know how much of that is coincidental versus how much of that is actually because he's having to do more defensively. Defensively, um, They'll play San Jose State tonight. Parquet is not expected back uh, for a couple more weeks. So... We'll see what he looks like over the next two to three games. And if he still has, you know, two to three bad offensive games in a row, then maybe there's something to it. Then we can probably look at that. And and to be completely honest, if he has two to three bad offensive games in a row, Kruger should probably change who takes on, who's that primary on ball defender, right? That should be something he looks into because they need Gilbert's offense. Yes. And you know, if he Kruger has talked up uh, Jackie Johnson as being able to do that. So if if Jackie Johnson can do that, even though he's not in the starting lineup, maybe ask Jackie Johnson to do it more. Harkless is a good defender too, right? I mean, maybe he's not as quick as they'd like to play that role, but Harkless should be able to do some of that as well. So I'd be curious to see if if Keyshawn Gilbert has a couple of more uh, poor offensive games. Right, do they change up right. who's in that role? That would be the interesting part to me. Can San Jose so, State win this game? Yes. They won't, but they can. Can I watch this game? Mountain West Network. So, no. Yeah, what a nightmare, by the way. Conference game, and it's on the Mountain yeah. West Network. I mean, it is San Jose State, but still. Still, you know, still it's a conference one. game. Yeah, blame Fox it's... Sports 1 and CBS Sports Network. They didn't like UNLV coming into the season. That's why their game's on the Mountain West Network. It's still the amount of times that I see professional cornhole on, like, random sports channels during prime time that I'm like, can you guys know you couldn't have made a call. Right. Right. Like I got Saturdays on CBS. Yeah. Big CBS. Big, big boy on Saturday. Yeah. And then let's see how many more games Mountain West Network. Oh, that's a tough one. They go to Utah State and it's on the Mountain West Network. What's the one at New Mexico on CBS Sports? Uh, yeah. CBS Sports Network is pretty okay. much across the board, but okay. uh, Mountain West Network for it. Utah State on January 17th. Obviously, both teams have to play about four or five conference games. Legitimate chance we're talking about top two, top two or three teams in the conference. I mean, Utah State's got the best net ranking in the Mountain West. There's a chance that that's like the game that decides the conference title, and it's on (laughs) the Mountain West Network. That early? Yeah, maybe. You might look back and say, hey, they win that game. They win the, the conference title. Coming up next, Jason Fitz joins the show. The man does not like pie or syrup on his pancakes. No clue why we're talking to him, but 
It is time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Good morning, Jason. Jason. How are you? I'm doing spectacular. How are you guys doing? You've been up early. You were uh, filling in for uh, Max Kellerman, Keyshawn Johnson, and Jay Williams, weren't you? Yeah, you know, we're doing a little promo for the new show that starts January 3rd. Uh, you know, Fitz and Harry. So they put uh, Harry and I together on the morning show, and uh, we've been doing that the last couple of days. It's sort of all over the place the next few days. They say it's promo. I think more it's just they've got us together, so they might as well just work us like dogs before the show starts. But, hey, we'll take it. They got guys taking vacation, and they need somebody to fill in. Sure, it's a nice happening. vacation oh, for those guys. <laughs> um, we, we keep wondering if next year we make the vacation list or if we're still the vacation fill-ins, but probably still the fill-in. Let's go. <laughs> all right, so... Jason Fitz, our, uh, I think you're our favorite Raiders fan. I think we can say that. Um, are you benching Derek Carr for the last two games of the season? Oh, that's a great question. And, you know, I got Tim Hasselbeck put me on the spot this, this morning because we were asking about faith in quarterbacks. And he just looked at me he's like, I don't know, if you were the Raiders, would you want Carr back next year? And it's such a difficult scenario to be in. Um, here's the thing. If they have any doubt in Derek Carr, which I think they do, and if they have any belief in Jarrett Stidham, which I don't know if they do, then, yeah, I would bet you just to see what Stidham has. I don't feel good about any of this answer, though, because I will say, as much as fans hate this, I've talked now to eight different people that are either scouts, former scouts, coaches, former coaches, GMs, all across the board, and I've asked the same question to all of them, are is, is replacement value considered when you look at the quarterback position? So do you have to look at the rest of the market before you decide to get rid of your guy? All eight have told me that every single franchise does that. They pro scout and they college scout whether or not they have a better quarterback on the open market. So I, I would just ask Raiders fans, you ready for Jimmy G? Because, like, if you don't think it's Derek Carr next year, I don't think they're going to be drafting high enough to get one of the top three quarterbacks. That means you're looking at Jimmy G, probably. So you don't think they've come to a final conclusion? Um, I don't. Uh, you would think right now that they would. My thought is that if you believe it's just familiarity with the offense and getting more comfortable with it, then give, give Carr the reps. The problem is he's getting demonstrably worse every week, and that's the weirdest part of this. Like, in the last month, Derek Carr has flat out not been good enough. So why is the question? Like, what is wrong with the process for him and the process of this offense where they can't come together? So that's what makes me uncomfortable. If it, yeah, I, I think, you know, I hate saying this, but I think, yeah, probably. I mean, what else do you need to see? Like, it's just he looks lost. It, it, he looks confused. Nothing looks easy. It doesn't look like he has an understanding of even what he's trying to do right now. And I don't know if that's in his head or if it's in Josh McDaniel's head. But, man, I don't know an easy way to fix that. So, yeah. Uh, Jason, you tell us on a regular basis that uh, drafting a quarterback in the first round often leads to having a bad quarterback on your roster. Um, I am curious, though, after they just played Kenny Pickett and the Steelers, would you rather have next year Derek Carr on a $35 million cap hit or Kenny Pickett on a $3 million cap hit? Uh, I would rather have Kenny Pickett next year. Um, Kenny Pickett was, you know, the only first-round quarterback. Like I said last year, I wouldn't draft one at all. He was the only one that went in the first round. I don't love it. This year, the question becomes this. Would you rather have Derek Carr or would you rather have Anthony Richardson? Because, uh, I mean, I've started my draft prep in almost every draft a uh, person I've talked to already in scout has told me that Anthony Richardson is going to come out as the fourth best quarterback in this draft. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Stroud, and Will Levis in some order are going to go uh, the top three quarterbacks off the board. So if you do not have a shot at one of the three of them, and I doubt the three of them make it past the fifth pick in the draft, 
then will you suddenly be okay with Anthony Richardson, who, guys, I believe is a long-term, going to need two or three years before he can even have a feasible opportunity to start the NFL-type quarterback. So that I don't love. I mean, if you're telling me Will Levis, who I think, you know, had some really just dog-terrible games, and I don't know why people are forgiving the fact that he threw into triple coverage twice against Bandy. If you're telling me it's Will Levis, I can at least say, okay, I get it, the measurables, I get the way that he does throw the football. He's going to be a combine god. Uh, if you tell me it's C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, I get it. Like, but if I had the choice between winning or taking any of those quarterbacks or waiting to see if I could win one game and get Caleb Williams, I'd rather have Caleb Williams than any of them. Can they convince Mark Davis that they'll go with a younger guy and a rookie and it'll be a rebuild after what they did this year with signing everyone said we're not rebuilding? That's a great question because I don't think the I don't think Josh McDaniels can survive a second season where he wins six games. I think no matter what, he will survive this season winning six games. Uh, if that's the case, I don't think he can survive that next year. So now it becomes a can you develop a young quarterback in this offense it is so wildly complicated that I'm told that, you know, veteran quarterbacks struggle with this. So now Anthony Richardson comes out of Florida where he's not ready to start and he's got to learn this offense. That's like, that's, that means Josh McDaniels is going to get fired in a year like that. So can they run it back that way? That's why I think Jimmy G becomes a, they're like, I, guys, I think there's going to be a flat out stupid bidding war over Jimmy G on a two or three year contract for teams like Washington that are desperate for a quarterback. And, you know, in that situation, the Raiders will try and trade their car and then they would sign Jimmy G. God, it just feels gross saying it. Every time I say it, it doesn't feel better. <laughs> All right, I'll, we'll forget about the Raiders. I've got an important question for you, and I feel like you're the one that knows the answer to this. I'm just going to read a tweet to you from Carter Carlos. Really valuable information. A Cheez-It Bowl representative told me last night that there is no such thing as Cheez-Its. One Cheez-It is a Cheez-It. Two or more Cheez-It are called Cheez-It Crackers, not Cheez-Its. Is that accurate, Mr. Cheez-It Jingle Writer? So that is accurate, but it's just dumb. Right? Like, <laughs> so I, I had this debate with Cheez-It this year because we did a, a campaign uh, as part of our show, and like one of our campaigns was the cheesiest fan. And what they really wanted to make sure that we conveyed was that the cheesiest fan was super cool. Like, It was cool to be the cheesiest fan. And I did the messaging. We did that every show. We made sure that... like the cheesiest fan was the person that had been out there the longest at, at, at countdown to game day. The person that had been like around it the longest, like it was the person that had the most gear on was the cheesiest fan. And they wanted to make that super cool. Like I get that that's what you want people in hell on ice water. Too. Like you can't change the way people perceive the word cheesy. So like you can't change the fact that people are going to say cheeses. Like I got a whole bunch of boxes of cheese. I only had cheeses in my house. But I got Cheez-Its in my house, not Cheez-It crackers. If I walk in and say, would you like some Cheez-It crackers? You're going to throw them at me and you're going to leave my Super Bowl party. <laughs> uh, yes, I am. Absolutely. So uh, that is uh, thank you for both confirming that they want it to be Cheez-It crackers and also going against the people you did a campaign with by telling them they're wrong. A hundred percent. Now, uh, I, I, let's talk again in the fall and see how happy I am with this decision <laughs> that I just made. All right. Uh, we get uh, semifinals. This weekend, is it Georgia and Michigan, and are they both blowouts like usual in the semis? Yeah, I think Georgia is going to just thump Ohio State, honestly. Ohio State's not ready for it. Uh, I mean, Georgia's defense is so good. I like Georgia big. The other one gets really interesting to me because Michigan did not look good several times, and I've, I've spent so many weeks saying TCU is overrated, and all they do is win. Like, they're kissed by the football gods. I don't really know what to do with that portion of the information. Michigan's a better team. 
but I, I do trust TCU to be able to go in and make some plays. They're dynamic at all three major positions. Like they may not be the most athletically gifted. They got a great running back. They got a quarterback that's played well beyond what anyone expected. They got a wide receiver. They can beat a lot of people. I just, their defense just can't stop anybody. So I, I'm really curious about that game. I think that's a close game, but I think Michigan's better. I want to ask you real quick. You walked into Walgreens and heard your song. Yeah, it's a how it's, how is that when how is that when that happens? I mean, obviously, I don't know if you walk around town anyone that's me, but how is that when you when that happens when you you go into a Walgreens and there you are? Certain songs bring back certain memories, and it's it's kind of crazy because there are songs that I hear them and I just sort of laugh, and I'm just like, all right, that's cool. Um, when I walked into Walgreens, they were playing "All Your Life," which was a big hit for us. But what was funny for the band Perry is that I I didn't play that song on the record. And because uh, there was no fiddle on it anyway, and as we were getting to release it, getting ready to release it for a single, Kimberly was like, "Well, what do you want to do on it? There's no piano, there's no keys, there's no fiddle." And I was like, "Well, I can figure out a snow, bro. Like, it can't be that hard, right?" So I, I literally called a company and I was like, "Hey, I wanna, I wanna play dobro on this song." So they sent me one, and I spent two weeks in the back of a tour bus trying to figure out how to play these dobro parts that were on the record, just listen by ear and trying to replicate it. And Luke Bryan's dobro player, we were on that tour, he was. He helped me, showed me a couple of tricks, but because I'm an idiot that likes the rush, instead of trying it first at a show in front of seven people, the first time I ever like actually played the dobro in front of an audience was live on Jimmy Kimmel. So I was like, there's only <laughs> one way to figure out if you can do it. Let's uh, do it live on Kimmel. So I, I played it on. I'm telling you all, like my heart was racing a million miles a minute for a very easy song where I was like, what am I doing? But uh, after that, I ended up playing the dobro on that every night. But the funny thing is, that is the only song I can always play every single night. So if you ever walked up and was like, all right, let's pick up the dobro and play it on this song, the answer to that is I can't. And I never changed the strings. I kept the same strings on that dobro because I thought it was lucky for like seven years. So like my, the, the guy that took care of our instruments was constantly like, you need to change your strings. I'm like, uh-uh, I got mojo. I know how to do one thing. I don't even know how to string this thing up. I do one thing on the dobro. I'm a one-trick pony. I'm assuming you would have told us if it went poorly on Jimmy Kimmel the first time you played that in front of people. It, it was actually it was, it was quite good. Okay. I'm not gonna lie. Like <laughs> I walked away from that and I was like, man, I nailed it. Like I'm not gonna. I, I had TV performances that I was like, oh, that one. No, that one. I was like, yeah, all right, I, I nailed that one. <laughs> well, I'm glad you uh, rose to the occasion, Jason. Um, enjoy some Cheez-Its over the weekend uh, and some college football. As always, we appreciate it, Jason. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, I'm going to eat my, my weight in Cheez-Its because I'm eating my feelings about the way this season went. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. So there's Jason Fitz from ESPN. Again, new show coming up starting next week. They're going to be on right after us here in Las Vegas. Uh, it's Fitz and Harry. You can hear them. I believe he's doing the rest of the week on the show before us, filling in for Keyshawn, Jason Williams, and um, Max Kellerman. So you can probably hear him before us, and then next week you can hear him after us. Uh, coming up next, let's get back into some UNLV basketball as they take on San Jose State. I should have known. She didn't like me. I don't think anybody likes you. Jared, if you put your hands up like that again, we're getting a new producer. I like me. It's the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Coming up later in the show, we've got Golden Knights tickets to give away. So if you want to go see the Golden Knights, stay tuned. You'll have a shot at winning some. Also tonight, right here on ESPN Las Vegas, you can hear UNLV kickoff conference action against San Jose State. That game starts at 7 o'clock. Pre-game show is at 6.30. Uh, and again, like we said earlier, if you're watching it, Mountain West Network. It is not on 
a television show. Actually, I think if you have Cox Cable, it's on that um, the Fox 5 uh, Silver Fox Sports 5 Silver, Network, yeah. or yeah. I can't remember the exact name of it. So if it's on Cox, then you can watch it. If you have DirecTV like me, it's not on an actual television channel. San Jose State. Um, interesting part about San Jose State right now. They went 9-4 and four in the non-conference, uh, which quickly, if I run back here, is the most wins they've had since 2016-17. <laughs> Already, already more wins than they've had in an entire season since 2016 and 17. Uh, last year, they went eight and 23. Uh, they are up to 151 in Ken Palm. Let me try to find the last time San Jose State was top 200 in Ken Palm at the end of the year was 2011. Wow. Uh, so there's not bad. There's still not like this isn't like a good team, but it's a great San Jose State. Right. right, this is like better than they've pretty much ever been. Um, they don't have any. Uh, what's their best win? Santa Clara, who's one hundred and one in Ken Palm. So it's not like they've gone and knocked off some top fifty teams or anything like that. Uh, but it is a better than usual San Jose State team. Now, here's a couple of stats for you that uh, could be a problem or not for UNLV. Uh, San Jose State is a very good shooting team. They are top one hundred in both three point and two-point field goal percentage. They shoot the ball quite well. Surprisingly, by the way, this kind of blew me away. Their top 100 in three-point shooting, top 100 in two-point shooting, they rank 307th in the country. How is that possible? I honestly don't know. How is that possible? I honestly do not know. 307th? Yes. What are they shooting, 50-something percent? (laughs) Uh, Get them to the line. 66% is 307th? I thought it'd be worse than that. Mug them. So they're, again... Good shooting team, but if you foul them, they might miss all of their free throws. Um, if, Is there a reverse pack line where you just have? <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. It appears the problem is that the guys that shoot the free throws the most on this team are bad. Like, they've got a guy who's shooting 90%. They've got a guy who's shooting 78%. they got a guy who's shooting 96%. They're shooting 71%, but then they've got 51, 57, and 55, and those guys take like the majority of the free throws. They're all starters. So, yeah, it's like they've got they've got some good free throw shooters, but they've got three guys who just can't throw it in the ocean, and they take <laughs> all of their free throws. Um, a couple more stats for you. They're a good offensive rebounding team. They're 74th in offensive rebound rate. We talked about this with the San Francisco loss. We talked about it with Southern Miss as well. UNLV, one of their maybe only flaws defensively is they do not rebound rebound that well. They're 298 in defensive rebound rate so far. So that I think pretty much anytime they lose, we're probably going to look back and say, Oh, look at the offensive rebounds. They gave up San Jose state might be able to do that. However, San Jose state's uh, a slightly above average turnover team. They turn it over on 20% of their possessions, which is above the national average. UNLV's defense is forcing turnovers on 30% of possessions, which is second best in the country. I think the line is just five. Uh, Ken Palm has it at three, by the way. Oh, uh, 68-65 UNLV wow. over San Jose State. So wouldn't expect it to be too high because it's a slightly better San Jose, San Jose State team. And here's the other key detail that uh, probably impacts the line and maybe the total here. So if we look at tempo this year, UNLV is fascinating because overall UNLV's tempo is 66th fastest in the country. So they're a pretty fast team this year. But Ken Palm breaks it down by offense and defense. UNLV's offense this year, the 25th fastest offense. They are they are going. They're getting they're getting a lot of fast breaks off of turnovers, but they're a very quick offense. Uh, 
Defensive possessions for UNLV, only 305th fastest in the country. When UNLV's on defense, they play long defensive possessions, mm-hmm. which usually is a good sign for your defense, right? The other team's right, not getting forcing them down to the clock. quick and good shots. San Jose State, just their offense this year, the 357th fastest offense in the country. So I am expecting San Jose State to have the ball for basically ever, right, on offense, because that's what UNLV's defense forces you to do, and that's what they're doing already. San Jose State offensively does. So that's probably, uh, that will suppress the amount of possessions, suppress the total score, and ultimately suppress the final margin, because the fewer possessions, the less likely you are to run up the score there. So that's another interesting detail on UNLV and San Jose State tonight, that you've got a very, very slow offensive team in San Jose State. Um, they are the slowest in the Mountain West, even slower Gosh, than Air Force. I would Force. hope at three something. Yeah, even slower than Air Force uh, this season. So here's this is actually going to be a fun breakdown for the entirety of the season. There are four Mountain West teams in the top 100 of tempo: San Diego State, Utah State, New Mexico, and UNLV. Everybody else is outside the top 200. So there are four fast teams, and the rest of this conference are is like really oh, slow. Oh, slow down, guys. Right. We don't need to play this sport that quickly. So that's going to be a fun sort of uh, comparison when they play. Like when they play San Diego State, should be a fast game. Should be a high-tempo game. When they play New Mexico and Utah State, should be a high-tempo game. Everybody else, you're kind of looking at this battle of styles set up with San Jose State being the absolute slowest in the country. Real quick here, I'm watching, I'm seeing this. San Jose State does not turn the ball over much. Uh, they're they're about average. They're slightly and more. And you know, be second in the nation of forcing turns. Right. So it's they're not great. They're not necessarily a great team at taking care of the ball. What we've but they're seen, not horrible. Right. What we've seen from UNLV, I'd expect them to force a lot of turnovers because they force a lot of turnovers on pretty much every team they've played that's sort of average or bad at taking care of the ball. UNLV's forced a ton right. of turnovers. So the the actual total number of turnovers won't be extremely high tonight because it'll probably be a lower possession game. Right. But the turnover rate will still probably get up near 25, 30% of San Jose State's possessions, which is a very good sign for UNLV.